I begin with a question. What biblical character would you say best shows what it means to be a Christian? And don't say Jesus. <laughs> Realistically, we might list a few, but one of the most remarkable in all the scriptures is certainly the Canaanite woman in our gospel reading this morning. She shows us not only what we are to do, but how we are to do it. She does not war with Christ until she gets her way. No, that is rooted in enviousness and entitlement. This Canaanite woman believes that Jesus is the promised one of the Jews. And she believes and persistently pleads. She humbly worships. She agrees with Jesus. And she delights with Jesus. And so in the remaining minutes, let us see more clearly what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let us ask ourselves if we are like this Canaanite woman. Are we people of faith and repentance? Or are we people of the flesh, the world, and the devil? I've titled this message, An Often Overlooked Invitation. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may we hear what that Canaanite woman heard 2,000 years ago. May we hear this glorious invitation. And may we receive it so that we might also hear that blessed combination where you say, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Now look with me at verse 21. Notice how Jesus withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Why? Because it is grace, not place, that makes people believe. This is the overarching principle to grasp. Suddenly this pagan woman miraculously shows us what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. She shows us what faith and repentance looks like. Now we might expect a Jew, Levite, or priest to be the example of true and spiritual worship. But we're given a Canaanite woman instead. She is a pagan by all accounts, except that she is a true worshiper of the living God. And she shares the mind of Christ. She's such a great witness of true and lively faith, isn't she? She showed not envy and entitlement, but humility and delight in the Lord. She expressed not offense or frustration, but persistence and prayerfulness. She showed not discouragement and disgust, but insight and hopefulness. She indeed is a model of what faith and repentance looks like. She is agreeable with our Lord and delighted in Him. She shows us what spiritual and truthful worship looks like. Now, we do not know why Jesus ventured into this area of Tyre and Sidon. These were Gentile cities that were often the objects of condemnation by the Old Testament prophets for their Baal worship and materialism. 
But here we see the opposite with this Canaanite woman, don't we? She is spiritually minded and a true worshiper of God in Christ Jesus. In the previous chapters, Jesus had been busy. He had been healing the sick, walking on water, feeding the 5,000, and revealing the kingdom of heaven through parables. Perhaps Jesus ventures to this region to seek rest and anonymity. Perhaps the Lord of the Sabbath comes to this region, this Gentile region, to display his mercy and to foretell its breath. Perhaps Christ is echoing his warnings to some of the cities of Israel, as he did in Matthew chapter 11. Regardless of the manifold wisdom that motivates Christ to come to this pagan place, we learn that it is grace, not place, that makes people believe. This is, my friends, a glorious and a gracious invitation for the nations. Do we not see this displayed most clearly in this Canaanite woman? Notice how she's awakened to the truth of Jesus as the Messiah. She is awakened to believe. She's strengthened in belief. And she is rewarded for her belief. We're not told how this pagan woman learned of the messianic promise or how she recognized Jesus to be the promised Messiah. There's no evidence that Jesus had been preaching or performing miracles when he arrived into this district. It's actually quite the opposite, isn't it? It seems more likely that both Christ and his disciples were seeking rest and anonymity in this place where they would not expect anyone to recognize them. But they received no break from ministry, did they? For behold, we're told in verse 22 that a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She may have sounded like a Jew, but Matthew makes clear that she was a Canaanite woman from that region. She was pagan. Except for the fact that the grace of God had been deposited in her heart. She was awakened to Jesus' messianic authority. She was awakened to her spiritual need. Listen to what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. This is what we might expect to hear from a Jew. After all, Matthew, the evangelist, to the Jews, identifies Christ as the son of David at the beginning of his gospel. And later he tells us of how the crowd praised Jesus as the son of David as Jesus enters into Jerusalem at his triumphal entry. We do not know how she came to know and to use this messianic title for Jesus, but we know that she was awakened to the truth when so many in Israel were not. Can we say with this Canaanite woman that we would rather be little dogs feasting on crumbs than a guest at the table fasting from food? Let us not take it lightly that we are of the household of God. That we regularly meet with the presence of God and the words of God. 
Let us not take it lightly. Now notice her spiritual neediness, too. For she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by what? By a demon. If we're to demonstrate faith and repentance, then we must not concern ourselves with material matters as much as we must concern ourselves with our spiritual need. She knew her spiritual need. It was demonic. We're not given specifics of her daughter's symptoms, but only that it was demonic. It was spiritual. It is only Christ who can conquer the spiritual forces and the principalities. And so let us recover the reality of our spiritual need. Our dilemma is not that is not education. That's not our dilemma. Our dilemma is not economics. Our dilemma is not even culture. Our dilemma is that we are spiritually depraved. And Jesus is the only one who can fix that. So we cannot be content with simply seeing Jesus. We must plead for his help. We must receive his merciful power. Now notice how the Canaanite woman was met with certain things that tested and even tempted her. First, when Jesus did not respond to her in verse 23, her faith was strengthened. Though Christ's silence may have seemed discouraging, his silence was proving her faith. Christ was testing her to ensure her success in taking hold of the promises of God. It's important to remember that she does not walk away discouraged when Jesus did not answer her a word. No, she is not weakened. She's strengthened. Child of God, do not be discouraged when our Lord gives no answer to your requests. He may just as well be strengthening you by making you to fast as he will do by making you to feast. Remember that Christ's ministry is marked by compassion regardless of how varied his tactics may be. So never tire from crying out to him. If all you get is silence, he is inclining his ear to you, even still. Remember the psalmist who says, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice for mercy. He has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will serve him for the rest of my life. Do you believe that he has heard your voice? Do you believe that he is inclining his ear to you? Well, keep on crying out to him. Never tire from crying out for help. Beloved, our Lord is just as well cheering us on through silence as he is through words. Second, when Jesus' disciples came and begged, Jesus, when Jesus' disciples came and begged him, Jesus, excuse me, second, when Jesus' disciples came and begged Jesus to send her away because she was crying out after them, her faith was strengthened. While Christ's silence was testing her faith, the disciples' words were tempting her faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that the disciples intended her to fail, but simply that they just wanted her to go away. 
Just as the Canaanite woman cried out in faith, the disciples cried out in the flesh, you see. It is true that they may have been begging Jesus to heal her already and send her away, but their motivation seems to be involved personal convenience more than compassion. They were motivated not by faith, but by their flesh. She was an annoyance and a distraction to them. They were not as much interested in sharing Christ's good news to her, but getting her to stop from crying out after them. Here we discover a great difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. On the one hand, we see the Canaanite woman, an exemplar who shares the mind of Christ. And on the other hand, we see the disciples who seem to share something else altogether. Both of them are begging Christ for something, but one concerns the spiritual and the other concerns the flesh. Third, when Jesus responds to her cry in verse 24 by saying, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, her faith, I submit, was strengthened. Yes, her Lord is proving her faith, not rejecting her. We are justified by faith and not by any works of our own. It is God's grace, not place, that makes us to believe. And we must remember this. And just as she was awakened to believe, she was strengthened to believe by these very words from our Lord. Jesus is not saying that he will not exercise his power except within the confines of Israel. That is not what he's saying. No, he's simply saying that he is a missionary. He's a missionary that was sent by God for a particular place, at a particular time, for a particular task. Now I confess that these words of Christ must have sounded discouraging to this Canaanite woman, at least initially. But if they were, we will never know, because she stalwartly took hold of the Messiah's promises, doesn't she? She believed that there was a chance, to use the familiar comedic or comedy movie phrase, dumb and dumber, you're telling me there's a chance. She believed that. She clinged to the promises of God. She did not walk away discouraged. No, she turned away from the flesh. She repented. She proved her faith and took hold of the promises of Christ. Her faith was strengthened. So how do we respond? When our prayers aren't answered, when we are shunned even by Christ's disciples. How do we respond when we are confronted with the reality that we are not entitled to the Lord's favor? Do we respond in frustration and fear? Or do we respond like this woman of faith, by dropping to our knees and saying those three words that are among the most important words that we can ever say to Christ, Lord, help me. Yes, we must humbly persist in our prayers. We must cry out to him, never tire from crying out to him. We must not just acknowledge our spiritual need, we must acknowledge his messianic authority, his promises for us. When we reach the bottom of the barrel, we do not seek to negotiate and debate with Jesus, do we? 
No, we drop to our knees. That's what we do. We cry out to him for help. That's what it looks like. We say, Lord, help me. That's what happened to me nearly 25 years ago. I did not wager with Christ. I did not argue with Christ. No, I pleaded for his mercy. These three words must echo throughout our entire lives. Lord, help me. We're not wrestling with the Lord. We're pleading to him. We are trusting and depending on his rich mercy and grace. This woman of faith is not warring with Christ until she gets her way. She is persistently pleading to him, humbly worshiping him. She's agreeing with him, as we will find. And she is delighting in him. See, she takes the form of this humble servant and she begs that the Lord help her. And as she's doing this, as she's on her knees, pleading for help, we are given the fourth way in which Jesus strengthens her faith. For Jesus said to her, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. In ancient Israel, one of the worst ways to insult someone is to call them a dog. So how is Jesus strengthening her faith and by uttering such an insult? Is this not cruel? Is this not cool-hearted? Is this not demeaning? Well, notice the merciful portrait. Yes, notice the merciful portrait that Jesus describes. She noticed it. The Canaanite woman identifies this merciful portrait. And it's this. Jesus literally speaks here of the little dogs. He's referring to the small dogs that were kept as beloved pets. Not feral dogs. Not nuisances. Not pests or predators. And look at how Jesus describes the setting of this family meal with children at the table and a pet dog nearby. It's a merciful portrait, isn't it? Jesus is rightly revealing that it would not be right to give the children's bread to the pet dog. He's not insulting the Canaanite woman. He's simply acknowledging his mission. Jesus is not being cruel. He's not being cool-hearted. He's not being demeaning. No, he is offering an invitation. Yes, he is inviting her to the great marriage supper of the Lamb, and she identifies this. This is glorious. This is the gospel right here. So do you hear this invitation? Like this Canaanite woman, do you hear this invitation? But no matter how you spin it, Jesus is, in fact, likening this Canaanite woman to a dog, isn't he? But she's not offended. She doesn't argue with Jesus. She doesn't issue an accusation to Jesus. She doesn't do any of this. Rather, she agrees with him. She recognizes this merciful portrait. She takes delight that she is considered a pet in the master's house. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the ma their master's table. Each week as we approach the Lord's table, we're given this merciful portrait. We're given this merciful portrait in the prayer of humble access. 
It reminds us that we too can be like this woman of faith and repentance. Yes, the most gracious and merciful Master invites us to receive life and peace. Like this Canaanite woman, let us believe that all hope is not lost, that we can feast at the Lord's table. It matters not whether we be children at the table feasting on food or pets on the floor, feasting on crumbs. All that matters is that we are feasting on the bread of life. So let us believe that we are promised. Let us humbly persist in our prayers. Let us never tire from crying out to Him. Let us turn away from personal offense and turn to the one who has been offended for us. Like this Canaanite woman, let us believe in the promise of Christ more than we believe in our situation of despair. Like her, may we not be discouraged by our Lord's silence and others' disgust. Like her, may we not be discouraged, but delighted that we can feast on crumbs. May we hear that invitation, church. May we hear the Lord's invitation when others only hear offense. Yes, may we hear those words of commendation, too, where our Lord says, Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Amen.